Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert with the life expectancy of a Spinal Tap drummer, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and little two-door tramp, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Real Me, which I incorrectly called The Real Me last week, the <laughs> second episode of season five. Real Me aired on October 3rd, 2000 and was written by David Fury and directed by David Grossman. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast. Because leaving crucial details, plot development, character deaths, and so on out of our discussion, analysis, and critique reduces a complex show to a series of plot twists. And we can't do that because it's wrong. (laughs) Back to what I was saying before we were rudely attacked by nothing. Let's go on patrol. In Real Me, Buffy is training with Giles in deep concentration as she does a perfectly held one-handed handstand until her annoying little sister, TM, Dawn, knocks over the crystals and breaks her concentration. We move into an episode told from Dawn's perspective, narrated from her diary as she complains about her perfect Slayer sister and the life where no one knows the real Dawn. At breakfast, Joyce asks Buffy to take Dawn shopping for back-to-school supplies after going to the magic shop for supplies with Giles, and Buffy is annoyed. Then Riley shows up for a date Buffy forgot about, and Riley is annoyed, although he pretends he's not. In Giles' sexy new car, he complains about the automatic transmission. Well, it did seduce me. All red and sporty. But when they meet Tara and Willow at the magic shop, they discover another dead shopkeeper. I just tripped over. That's what, Vampires 10, Magic Shopkeeper 0? Anyway, Buffy immediately sends Dawn outside where a strange man approaches her. In the magic shop, Giles, Willow, and Buffy start investigating, and Giles gets a look at the books for the place and starts to check it out. Impressive square footage. Giles notices that something's been taken from the case, and Willow uses the shop records to figure out that it was a cheap ceramic unicorn. What kind of murderer would steal chintzy chotskis anyway? Yes, you deserve it. It's Harmony! In her lair, Harmony has a meeting with her minions, revealing her new plan. We killed a slayer tonight. At Buffy's house, Joyce is a little upset that A, no school supplies, and B, field trip to a murder scene. Buffy has to go out that night to patrol and find the killer, and Joyce has to work, so they decide that Dawn needs a babysitter, something Dawn deeply objects to, until she discovers... It's Xander. And sure, he brought Anya, but still, Xander. While they're all playing board games, Harmony and her minions show up and start taunting Xander, who stands safely behind the invitation shield until Dawn accidentally invites Harmony in, who immediately attacks Xander. They manage to throw Harmony out and shut the door, but later when they tell Buffy that Dawn invited a vampire into the house. Dawn! Harmony and her minions stalk through the night, annoyed at being outplayed by a little girl and Xander, when they bump into Spike, who promises to kill all the vampires, until Harmony steps up and they have a flirtatious reunion where she shares her plan with Spike. We're gonna kill the Slayer. Singing my song now, are you? Spike inadvertently gives Harmony an idea to kidnap one of Buffy's friends and lead her into a trap, and Harmony gets right to it. At Buffy's house, Buffy complains about Dawn inviting Harmony into the house, and Dawn overhears, of course, and decides to leave. Anya tries to stop her, but Harmony and her minions are there waiting. They knock Anya out and take Dawn. At Harmony's lair, the minions are starting to revolt, 
but Harmony lays down the law. We're not eating the girl. Why not? Because that's not the plan. Harmony goes down to where they've got Don chained up to complain about how nobody takes her seriously. Then the minions who don't take her seriously come down to eat Dawn and mutiny against Harmony, but Buffy shows up and interrupts the coup, and Harmony tries to take control again. So Slayer, at last we meet. We've met Harmony, you half-wit. Buffy dusts the minions, but while she's engaging in pre-slay banter with Harmony, hey, even a Slayer needs some foreplay. Minion Mort grabs an axe. Dawn shouts to Buffy, and Buffy turns her attention to Mort while Harmony takes the opportunity to run away. Buffy dusts Mort, gets the chains off Dawn, and takes her home, lecturing Dawn all the way. Back at home, Dawn and Buffy cover for each other with Joyce. The next day, as Giles sets up his new magic shop after what must be the fastest real estate transaction in the history of the world, and Dawn writes in her journal, finishing out the episode's narration. She still thinks I'm little Miss Nobody. Just her dumb little sister. Boy, is she in for a surprise. All right, so Noelle, here we are, real me. What'd you think? So... This episode didn't make much of an impression on me, and I think it's because the impact of the episode is supposed to be in the surprise and confusion of Dawn even being here and everyone acting Mm -hmm. like, you know, NBD. She's always been here. Like Buffy says always about Dawn Mm -hmm. several times. So when you know who Dawn is and that she's part of the show (laughs) and that this is the world of the show going forward, it's kind of like shrug. You know, there's not a lot else here. Um, Mm -hmm. So instead of like, what the hell? Did I miss something? My reaction just kind of switches to Dawn is really quite adorable. (laughs) Dawn is adorable. I really like that. I actually it's funny. I've never really enjoyed this episode so much because I think it like it, it rests so heavily on the annoying little sister thing. Yeah. Um, which is something that I just don't, I don't know, I don't have a lot of time for. I don't know a lot, like, I'm, I'm tired of that trope. Yeah. You know? Um, but, but now that I watch it and actually watching it, for me, having the context of the full show makes this episode so much more interesting to me than it ever was when I just like was first watching it through. You yeah. Know? And as I go into it, I realize that that I, I, I like Dawn. I like Dawn too. And I'm yeah. at peace with the fact that maybe it's just me over here, like with my pro Dawn, <laughs> pro Riley, you know, I'm just like, I'm in this camp all alone. And I'm kind of at peace with that. Um, I like camp on popular opinion. I think that that's okay. <laughs> it's kind of great. I mean, I figure camp unpopular opinion is the camp that got us like your chocolate with your peanut butter with your pretzels, like those things that great taste that maybe you wouldn't have put together originally, but now we're mainstream. Who knows? Um, (laughs) But I think I think Dawn is adorable. I think she is very sweetly and very accurately 14 years old. Um, Mm -hmm. I love. Yeah, I'm not going to Hogwarts. As a joke, it's just so cute. Like, come on. God, read a book. Yeah. Yeah. God, crack a book, (laughs) you know? I like Dawn appreciating Willow and Tara. Dawn and Tara thumb wrestling is among my favorite things on the goddamn planet. They are so cute. Um, I like that Dawn plays chess. I love that Mm -hmm. Dawn saves Buffy by breaking the rules and opening her eyes. Yeah. And I just, there's something so just stinking charming about, yeah, well, I'm telling mom you slayed in front of me. <laughs> like, 
I know. It's so incredibly cute. And like, I, I do understand why a lot of people hate Dawn. And I think actually that stems from season six and maybe some early season seven. Um, because Dawn is sort of built to be that annoying kid that gets added to TV shows to keep it fresh. We bring Dawn in predominantly in season five. She is a plot device, mm-hmm. you know, and then they have to like transition her into an actual character once that plot is resolved you know um so i mean uh, for a lot of times in in this she is the the damsel you know the the capital d damsel for season five it's all about the danger um to dawn and what dawn means to buffy but also that dawn is both real and not real so real me um, I think is an interesting title given what we're going to learn about Dawn as we move forward, that she is very real, but she's not real. Right. You know, um, and all of that, I think, is is such a crunchy, like interesting space that we spend the time in during this season. Um, but she's she's written in this like annoying little sister way um, again which I don't really enjoy that much. It's it's so incredibly genre savvy, which of course is something that Whedon, I mean, no one can ever accuse Whedon of not being genre savvy. Right. Everything that he does is is a take on genre. Like Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a take on, oh, it's always the blonde that goes down into the basement and gets mm-hmm. killed, right? What if she was the thing the monsters were afraid of? You know, uh, Cabin in the Woods, which is his horror movie, is basically all about, it is a it is a love letter to the horror genre and subverts so many of the things that happen in the horror genre, but it is predominantly about genre. And here we have this, this little kid being added to the show to freshen it up kind of trope being turned on its head. He likes to take things that are established and then subvert them and I don't I don't begrudge him that like I think that that's cool and that's fun um but it is extremely genre savvy and so I think Dawn doesn't really develop like as a character until season seven like we flail with her a lot in season six and I think that's why people don't like her well yeah I mean and that makes sense to me um Mm-hmm. especially I had a conversation a little while ago with Dr. Kelly Jones, who was one half of mm-hmm. how story works conversations. Yeah. And she asked this very astute question. It's like a very, it's like a, a almost too simple to be simple question, which is uh-huh. why Dawn, you know, you have this successful uh-huh. show with characters that people love. What if you kept everything the same with glory and instead of needing a key, she needs slayer's blood. You could keep Mm -hmm. everything more or less the same and maybe even bring back faith for a hot second. Um, Mm -hmm. So we have this story where we want a human key that Buffy would have to protect with her life. So we made it a little sister because Mm -hmm. using women's bodies and lives for the advancement of men is always just like super chill, right? Um, right. (laughs) But like. Where will I hide something that I want this layer to protect? I know I'll put it in a little girl, but then right. I'll make her think she's a real girl and make her go through puberty and middle school as well. Like it's twisted. <laughs> it's a right. fucking patriarchal bullshit yeah. of the highest oh. order. I mean, yeah. we could have made Miss Kitty Fantastico the key 
Or just a cat mm-hmm. that Buffy is super duper attached to. I mean, my cats make... Yeah, z- give her a dog. My right? cats make zero fucking sense. I would lay down my <laughs> life for those bizarro fuckers. Like, I swear to God. I mean, or yeah. if for whatever reason it has to be a person because reasons, right? What about Xander? Mm-hmm. Why couldn't mm-hmm. Xander have been the key? Here's Xander, this bumbling right. human person who's just doing his best. And we love him most of the time. But he doesn't have magical powers or really any powers. Mm-hmm. But he's still deserving of protection. I mean, like, why not Xander? Why? <laughs> and we've established Buffy's love for Xander or for Willow or for Giles. Right? Like, it, like, what if Giles was the key? Like, it could be literally any other human person on the show. Right. But we wanted mm-hmm. to do this thing with a little girl because, I mean, because genre? Like, is that just a... Because genre. Yeah. Because curds and whey. All right, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop into this thing. I <laughs> love you curds for this. and whey rabbit hole. I love it. <laughs> um, I love this moment. Right, we've got this guy outside the magic shop who says, "I know you, curds and whey. I know what you are. You don't, don't belong, belong here. here." Right, <laughs> and so I love that moment because it does. It it's a nod at the at the audience saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know. We know. Hang in there." Right. It's a textual <laughs> acknowledgement that this. This kid does not belong here, right? So we had Faith saying Little Miss Muffet in the dream sequence at the end of season three. And I am convinced that Curds and Way is a retroactive validation of that line because my dream sequence cynicism game is strong, y'all. Like, um, I think that they threw in Little Miss Muffet because it sounded like a thing to do. And then they found a way. I believe in Restless, they knew exactly what they were doing because we've seen Restless being echoed. You don't know what you right. are, you know, what you've become. You you haven't even begun, right? Like we're seeing a lot of these things come in. So in season four, they absolutely knew it was happening. Back in the end of season three, no, fuck off. They didn't have this plan. I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a minute. <laughs> it looks like retroactive validation to me. And because Little Miss Muffet is this little nursery rhyme, it's nothing. Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet eating her curds and whey. Along came a spider, sat down bespi- beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away, right? That's it. That's all there is, right? So I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, so we're putting all this weight. We're making this one guy who can see, right? And I love what happens with those who see and those who don't. Yeah. You know, those who can see and those who don't. I find that really an interesting kind of thematic line throughout Buffy. Who sees and who doesn't, you know? Um, And here we have this guy who comes in, freaks out, you know, our little Miss Muffet, right? Um, Freaks out Dawn. And um, and says curds and whey and references once again, she is Little Miss Muffet. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, all right, we've got very, very little to work with here. Let's just go ahead and dive in. So first I start with looking up curds and whey. Like, what does this mean aside from because he could have said along came a spider. He could have said anything right sitting on your top because that anything but they give him curds and whey. So um, what does it mean? And curds are like Curds and whey are what happens when milk proteins separate in the making of cheese. Yes, I know. This is fascinating. Everybody stop driving your cars. <laughs> you get into an accident listening to this because, oh, my God. So anyway, so some of it becomes solid, the curd, and some of it becomes liquid, the whey, but it's all milk proteins. And that's what happens when you add a chemical called renin, right? Yes, I actually researched this, although I don't know, Googled it. Like, I don't know if you can actually call it research, but anyway. Oh, it's totally um, research. Did you get totally to the part research. about like animal rennet versus vegetable rennet? 
No, oh, yeah. I stopped. <laughs> I didn't have time for that kind of rabbit hole. I was already late to <laughs> record this morning because of this nonsense. Um, so what do Kurds and Whey represent in and of themselves? Nothing much, right? I don't really feel like there's actually much there, although like a separating of reality into two different states that coex. I don't know, whatever. I, I didn't come up with anything that I felt was at all gratifying looking at Kurds and Way. So you're welcome that I shared all of my nonsense with you. Um, but the part of the nursery rhyme that goes unreferenced um, is much more interesting, right? Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet eating her Kurds and Way. Along came a spider and sat down beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away. It's the part that's unsaid, the part that's unreferenced directly that I find really interesting. Like along came a spider. Here we have a young girl just doing her thing, mind her own yeah. goddamn business. And along comes this spider, an interruption to her natural state of being and scares her away, right? So I read Little Miss Muffet, first of all, as a fairy tale supporting the idea of weakness in women, especially young girls, mm -hmm. right? Because it's a fucking spider. Along came a spider and Miss Muffet smashed it with her book and then flicked it off the tuffet and continued eating her fucking cheese, right? <laughs> um, that's what should have happened, right? But that's not what we do. A tiny little thing freaked out this girl so much that she had to run away from what she was doing, mm -hmm. right? Um, so we have a nursery rhyme, right? These We are taught these nursery rhymes. These nursery rhymes come to us while we are toddlers, right? This is how we learn language, yep. right? And the first thing we're told is that we have this sense of gendered weakness in children, and we put it in a show that's about one girl in all the world. Now, we just talked about the just a girl theme in Buffy, right, last week, that the personified representation of weakness in in us as the first things that we read as children, motherfucking goose, right, is actually the most powerful evil fighter in the world. Once again, genre savvy Joss Whedon subverting the shit out of everything just because it's fun to flip stuff on its head, right? <laughs> so here we have most powerful evil fighter in the world. And yet... She remains unsung and unpaid, which we're going to address later. It's not such a big deal while she's got her mother taking care of her. But later, as we get into season six, the unpaid element of the Slayer is kind of bullshit. It's not just kind of bullshit. It's super bullshit. But she remains unsung, unpaid, the first of her kind, nameless. Yes, I know, Sinea, they name her later. But at this point... That girl is nameless. But what about the others? Like, aside from the contemporary slayers that have actually been in the show, Kendra and Faith, we don't name any of them until season seven with Nikki Wood, yeah. right? So at this point, we've named more watchers than slayers. We've got Giles, we've got Quentin Travers, we've got Gwendolyn Post, we got Wesley. We even named fucking Collins and Weatherby in the Angel episode Sanctuary, the goons that come to take Faith away, right? Um, and we've already discussed the power of names, right? We have this whole history of slayers and it's the watchers diaries it's the watchers telling their stories it's the watchers telling the stories from their perspective and we've seen giles reading right the watcher diaries about all the slayers who've died mm -hmm. and what their watchers did you know um so we have everything from the perspective of the watchers the watchers are completely running this show and the slayers the slayers who have killed all these vampires right are nothing. We have histories on Angel. We have histories on Spike. We have histories on Drusilla. We have histories on Darla, right? Yeah. We're studying the vampires. And yet these slayers go unfucking named 
right? We never talk about that. We never talk about the history of the slayers. So I think that that's really important. And then we have these monks who are, let's not forget men, right? Yeah. And religion and the patriarchy have been skipping hand in hand through history, um, <laughs> you know, stomping everything to a bloody fucking pulp. And I am sorry for the religious people at the religion itself. Fine. Organized religion and the patriarchy are absolutely, you know, fuck buddies. But anyway, um, <laughs> So we have these monks, right, who are putting the key to the destruction of the universe in the form of the least threatening existence that they can possibly imagine, a little girl. And in the end, it's just a girl who disrupts everything, who is not only not afraid of a spider, but isn't afraid of throwing herself into a rip in reality in order to save the world and to save her sister. So when I think about it, what does Little Miss Muffet mean in this context? I mean, honestly, I don't think intentionally it means much of anything. Like I said, I think it's retroactive validation, right? I may be wrong, but that's absolutely how it reads to me. But that said, intentional or not, you know, death of the author, Little Miss Muffet analysis in the context of Buffy is basically leading me to shorthand for fuck the patriarchy. And I choose to read it that way. (laughs) I choose to read Little Miss Muffet as a way of saying fuck the patriarchy. And if it is something that Noxon and Espenson and our female writers put in there just for fun, then I'm all for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I mean, we've talked about this before that like the choices that you make in your writing bring all of this meaning along with them, like whether you intend that or not. So, you know, you choose things like obviously we choose things because we have our own associations with them, you know, when mm-hmm. we're writing or creating something. But right. it's something like a nursery rhyme may have completely different associations for someone else, mm-hmm. you know, someone viewing yeah. or critiquing or analyzing the creative work. I don't, I fucking love it. And I love, I just love that moment with this scary guy because if you don't, mm-hmm remember like if you don't remember faith saying little miss muffet in dream space like if you you know because you're watching maybe you're Mm -hmm. watching the show in real time that yeah maybe you watched the show in a place before there were like dvds and streaming like i don't know how anybody lived oh my god i don't know how i lived before that. <laughs> and that's another thing about this episode. Like yeah. before before you could easily go back and watch something. I mean, yes, there were VCRs yeah. and people were recording right. things off of television to watch later. Um, but it still wasn't as accessible. It wasn't. You know, like you couldn't, universally accessible. You couldn't mm-hmm. go back. I mean, unless you had a, an elaborate system of vcr recording from television you couldn't go back and watch things you were watching when it aired and that was kind of it and the reruns so and not everything got rerun yeah Yeah. so Mm -hmm. i mean i'm i think about this episode in the in that context as well of like this must have blown people's fucking minds Mm -hmm. and i don't mean in a like oh my god this is so cool but in a what the actual fuck is going on so that moment with the dude outside the magic shop Curds and whey. I know what you are. You don't belong here. Which, first of all, I just love. Like he, yeah. he sells the crap out of it. Like he's clearly a disturbed guy who is right. maybe dangerous. Like you don't really know. This is Sunnydale, right. so like something yeah. is up. But they sell the shit out of that moment, both with him and with mm-hmm. her. I mean. 
Michelle right. Trachenberg, say what you want about Dawn, but she is like she's embodied, great. you know, 14 year old yeah. girl, raw mm-hmm. nerve emotion. Like, I absolutely, I love it. But yeah, like right. that moment with, you know, I know you, curds and whey. Like, it's really mm-hmm. super creepy, right. but it's also a nice moment for the audience who's going, yes. what the actual fuck show? Like, it's a mm-hmm. nice moment for the audience in terms of, yes, you're correct. Like, this is wrong. Yes. This is twisted. Mm-hmm. We will address it. It's going to be okay. Like, we, mm-hmm. we, got a, we got a creepy guy. We got a creepy guy outside the magic shop. It's going to be cool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, though, all of your analysis of Little Miss Muffet and, like, Dawn and what she's even doing here and, you know, what the hell is even going on brings me to the title of this episode, yeah. Real Me. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned at the top of the show, I mistakenly, mistakenly said the real me last week because mm-hmm. that's a phrase we're used to hearing as yes. in like, no one knows the real me because we're all just, right. you know, wearing masks all the time. Everything is performance, <laughs> whatever. It's fine. Um, <laughs> it's all just smoke and mirrors, folks. But deep down inside, we're all just, you know, shivering puddles of insecurity. But seriously, fun. I mean, you think about like the faces yeah. that we show the mm-hmm. world. I mean, why is vulnerability so hard? Like, why is it so hard to have right. a hard conversation with someone, even someone that you mm-hmm. care about? It's because the real me, folks. Um, yeah. But real me without the definite article mm-hmm. could almost be a command as in yes. real me. As in, make me real. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of a stretch. Um, yeah. But it's something. But it's something to think about, at least. And of course, Harmony does say something about finally fighting the real me, and I like her. Like yes. I love Harmony. <laughs> I know. I know. I like the Harmony voices it too. And then when we have Harmony, where she's got Dawn chained up, oh my right? dear and God. she's sitting there, like you know, having a girl talk session with Dawn, who is being like, yes. Okay, you know, very like very supportive, very girlfriendy, like in that moment, you know. And Harmony's struggling with, you know, nobody respecting her and <laughs> everything falling apart. And here she is just trying to do something. Like she's trying to do something. I love you know I love that moment. I, love I can absolutely yeah. see myself as you know, my vampire self, if you will. <laughs> right. Having like doing some processing with my new BFF hostage, you know, like sure. BFF slash hostage. hostage. Sure. It's- these relationships can get complicated. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It it gets really it gets really complicated. But harmony mm-hmm. I love harmony and Dawn together because of that kind of raw nerve vulnerability. Yeah. Like harmony mm-hmm. trying to be I mean, what does Spec say all puffed up and mighty? And she's like all puffed up and mighty. She's like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> I know. And when he's like, it's adorable. <laughs> it's so good. It's so cute. But Harmony is clearly a self-starter, right? She's running this group, you know. I mean, she's not running them well to the point where they're not going to, like, turn around and kill her. Right. You know. Um, but, you know, but she's doing something. She's trying to make something happen. She's got a plan. It's a bad plan, but she's got a plan. It's the plan. And I kind of like, I like Harmony's industry, you know. Um, Harmony as a character is made specifically to delight me. Right. Like, so she is one of the things that like I can understand people who find her annoying and who don't like her. I fucking adore her. And I think that there's there's something 
I mean, harmony is absolutely like a case argument for the vampire and the human are not that separate. Yeah. The vampire and the human are are much more intertwined. You know, it is not that the this demon is running around in a harmony suit. This is harmony, you know, with her empathy and her morality basically taken away. Yeah. And then what's left? Like these people are still themselves. But when empathy and morality are taken away, this is what happens to them. This is what they become. And harmony, even with empathy and morality taken away, um, still has this wonderful, like, sense of herself. I think she still has some residual empathy. I don't think that the the vampire transition process is always a complete, I don't know, what would you call it? Empathectomy, I guess, would be the thing, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, I don't think it always takes everything out. You know, I think that with Angelus, it did. When Angel is Angelus, he's got nothing, you know? But some of these vampires, we see it. I think Spike has it, too. And I think that that brings in like a wonderful vulnerability into this character. And I love the vulnerability that we have in Harmony. You know, like Spike's vulnerability was his ability to love. Yeah. You know, like it was his love that would always get him. That was that was so deeply um, within him that it could deeply, deeply hurt him. And with Harmony, you know, she's I mean, this is one of the things I love, like the the vulnerability of not being good at what you like yeah. not being good at what you want to be good at or being very good at a very bad thing like in Breaking Bad with Walter White right mm-hmm. you know like that is a vulnerability like you know wanting to be good at something and not being good at it and failing you know that like fear that failure that sense of identity that I am a failure at this thing that this one thing that's left to me to do right for Harmony is yeah. be a vampire and she's not a good she's vampire she's not a good vampire know? at all and I it's no and I love it it's so wonderful there's something like I I just I just love the vampire that you kind of root for like yeah I don't want her to kill the slayer but I also know she's not going to because right oh and she is loaded down with delight armor too she and Spike are both loaded with delight armor I mean there is no reason why Buffy shouldn't be able to dust her with a dirty look and (laughs) yet (laughs) Harmony lives Harmony lives through the whole goddamn thing she does and then she moves over to Angel because we can't not have her I'm, and it's also delightful there. I'm astounded yes. that there are people who don't like Harmony. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be, but there are really? people who don't like. Uh, there are people who don't like Buffy. There are people who don't like. Yeah, like, well, there are people. people who don't like I Spike. mean, like, yeah. I guess there are people who will tell you that water is dehydrating. So you know, it's like right. <laughs> we can, right? We can exactly. Yeah, you can find basically any. I guess you can find any perspective on I mean, anything. I try to embrace all opinions. Like I think that like whatever your response is to something is is an opportunity for you to think about yourself and your response. Right. You know, like rather than demanding that everybody agree with you, which is a impossible, and b why? <laughs> why? Why do we need that? Why do we need that validation? Right. I mean, it's an, like yeah. I can't even tell you how many people get mad at me because I don't see things the way that they see things. And I'm like, why should I? You know, like we are different people. We have different experiences. We have different perspectives. And so I think that like all opinions are valid. 
people not liking harmony, I will never understand, but I will respect. Yeah. Like people who don't like harmony, you know what? That's fine. I will love her enough for all of us. Yeah. Well, you know, like I say, like I just, I'm, I'm like, I can't believe it. But also I just so, I can't imagine not loving her, which is, you know. That's fine. Love what you right. love, people. But it also love what you love, right? And you're right. It does have a lot to do with perspective, um, which mm-hmm. is something that I noticed in this episode, watching mm-hmm. Xander through Dawn's eyes. Oh, that is so interesting. He is I so love that she's got a crush on cute. <laughs> like it's so so cute, yeah. and the way that. Mm-hmm. The way that that's written and the way that it's played, I love Xander mm-hmm. calling Dawn Dawn Patrol. It feels mm-hmm. so spot on. Nicknames yeah. in fiction are one of those things that I'm always a little bit like, nah, I see what you did there. Like, you you, right. you wrote this. This is written, <laughs> so you can choose it's whatever. It's very written. But it, yeah. feels, mm-hmm. it feels right in the world. It feels very genuine. And I mm-hmm. love Dawn having a crush on Xander. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they, like... They play it seriously. It's not like she has a crush mm-hmm. on him and he's a total buffoon for the yeah. episode. She has a crush on him. And then he's talking to Joyce and he's like, we're just going to play with matches, run with scissors, take candy from some guy. I don't know his name. <laughs> and it's completely charming. And then he winks at Dawn yes. and it's so cute. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel creepy to me. Well, because he's not creeping on her. Right. But like, you know, like I get like her crush on him, I think is is completely fine and cute and adorable. Um, if he ever acted on it, you know, that would be that would be tough. Well, what I um, what I love about this mm-hmm. point of view thing is that yeah. it doesn't like sometimes Xander's I'm the charming funny guy act like reads yes. to me as a viewer as creepy whether or not he intends to be um yeah and you know that's about me right but we're so deep in don's pov that his Mm -hmm. playful kind of cutesy you know Mm -hmm. like he's doing a little this is a little thing that he's doing for her like he's doing this for her benefit not because he's hitting on her but because he genuinely likes her and right I just love I I just love that dynamic. I enjoy the way he is being playful and friendly with her mm-hmm. and she is enjoying the attention from him. And yes. I am totally cool with all of this as a viewer because I delight armor, I don't know. Like it works it works yeah. for me. Basically mm-hmm. basically this moment is all about me and my needs, Lonnie. <laughs> I'm all for but it. Absolutely. I like I like being able to pull out those moments and spot like, oh, part of the reason this works so well mm-hmm. is because it is coming through the point of view of this character or it's coming yeah. through the emotional resonance of this moment or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But like even watching this from the outside, like if we weren't so deep yeah. in Dawn's POV, I think I would bounce hard off of Xander's like, I'm the cutesy funny guy nonsense. Cause mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and again, maybe that's like me bringing all of myself to my viewing. Right. It's like, I've had enough <laughs> of everything that. Does. Like not yeah. everything is a joke, dudes. Like not everything is a joke. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but point of view, I mean, point of view is such a powerful thing in this episode. 
Yeah. You know, on a on a meta, you know, like in the meta sense of like the audience knows yes. that something is seriously off, even if everyone in right. the show is acting like Dawn has always been here. Well, right. I mean, it's steeped in dramatic irony, right? Because we know, but nobody in the show yeah. knows. Yeah. But then we have Dawn through Tara's eyes. Mm-hmm. And there's that little glimmer of maybe someone in the show beginning to be more aligned with the audience maybe maybe not i don't know i mm-hmm. love that tara goes out to check on dawn um yes want a thumb wrestle is so fucking cute oh my god so i love it so fucking much. cute but then yeah. later when willow and tara are unpacking their dorm room and tara is advocating for dawn like that's such a there's so much going on in that conversation Mm-hmm, and it just raises mm-hmm. some questions for me. Like, has she already decided that she, Tara, is too much of an outsider for the group? Are we setting up mm-hmm. the she thinks she's a demon, mm-hmm. can, you know, thing? Or is Tara sensing a disturbance in the force and perceiving Dawn as an outsider and wanting to knit her more securely into the fabric of the group without really knowing everything that's without going on? I mean, knowing? that's my headcanon yeah. anyway, that Tara... Tara has that, like, you know, something is off Spidey sense. Um, Because Tara always knows when something is off. Even if she doesn't know that she knows, she's that barometer for reality. Yeah, no, she really does. And I I love all of this with Tara in this episode. You know, and there's so much stuff going on. And Harmony is is absolutely, like, you know, pun intended, vamping everything. Like, she is <laughs> sucking all the air out of the room because she's Harmony and she's amazing. But Tara here in the background is really interesting. I mean, we've talked a lot about having our truth tellers, right? We had Cordelia. Now we've got Anya and Spike. Um, but one of the things we haven't really had you know, as as an isolated kind of role is the seer, right? You know, we've given the role of the seer to the truth teller from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they tell the truth from inside the group. You know, they tell the truth as as part of it, you know. And the seer needs distance in order to see everything. And then here comes Tara. And the thing that I find interesting is that Tara, like the Scoobies are not rejecting Tara. Like Tara is distancing herself from the core Scooby. She says she's not really sure she wants to be part of the core. I love that line. Um, And I love the way she delivers it. It's so Mm -hmm. good. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's such a thoughtful approach to her character. I mean, Tara has run spells to save the day. She has earned her space in the Scooby core, right? I mean, she is doing shit. She is making shit happen, you know? But she doesn't try to take that space. So instead of her being outside and desperately wanting in, she's inside and thinking, I don't know that I want to be inside, right? She keeps herself separate because she's our seer and she can see better from a distance. But... We're going to see in this season, Tara is moved inside, right? And once she's inside, she can no longer see as clearly, which leads to the events at the beginning of season six. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's it's interesting. I love what they do with Tara. She's just incredible. And Mm -hmm. some of that is Amber Benson and some of it is Mm -hmm. just this amazing opportunity to bring in this like I have no (laughs) I have no words for what like what Tara does to the show when she's here like she's this 
I mean, it sounds so, um, I don't know, oversimplified, but she really is this magical presence within the group. Yeah. You know, it's funny because we have like the five man band, right? You know, we've got the hero and the Lancer and the big guy and the smart guy and the heart, right? You know, and we often like align Xander with the heart, right? And I think that that's because he's got that emotional, empathetic connection, right? Um, Tara feels like the soul. Tara feels like something that we don't ordinarily represent in our narrative, Mm -hmm. right? Like the spiritual and, you know, I don't like the magical lesbian thing, you know, okay. (laughs) But... But like she's there's there's regardless of her, her her Wiccan identity or her like Wiccan like that's you know different from witchcraft or whatever but they they kind of use them interchangeably right. within the within the world of the story um, and and you know her identity as a lesbian or whatever um, that she is she is the spiritual leader she is the spiritual connection yeah right yeah she is the one who is who remains emotionally and spiritually grounded. And we see that threatened a little bit in this season. We see her, you know, kind of kind of thrown for a loop yes. when her family comes to town in the episode family. We see her, of course, with her with her mind stolen by glory, right. you know, later on in this season. Um, but Tara remains like the spiritual anchor. And it's funny because I am not I'm trying to think of another situation where we've had somebody performing the role of a spiritual you know without without textually being like a preacher or a or a rabbi or you know something like that somebody whose role is overtly spiritual in the actual world that they live in that in... they've created but to to have somebody be a spiritual anchor as a character role within a story without being explicitly spiritual in their you know, in their existence at like, you know, whatever it is that they do day to day. I mean, I, I go immediately really to like your Jedi masters and your. Right. But even then there's. But this... they're explicitly, I mean, they're basically space priests. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. arguably. <laughs> like, but like, Argu- I'm sure I'm sure that Robert Heidrich, you know, host of Metaphors Be With You would have much, much to say on that. I'm sure I will hear about it after this episode airs. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Were you were you thinking of stories in general or or on Buffy specifically or both for this like I think stories in general I think that like I, I honestly as I'm looking at Tara and I'm I'm I like this is the first time I thought about her in the role of a seer this is the mm-hmm. first time I thought about her and in, in the role of the spiritual anchor not just you know somebody who's preaching morality mm-hmm. you know because that's not really what she does. She um, behaves morality. She behaves balance right. and thoughtfulness and care and empathy and all of these things that we align with a deep spiritual practice. So all those people who were annoyed at my like shot at organized religion before, like spirituality, which is deeply, deeply tied to the practice of religion, is awesome. And there's so... Because, I'm sorry if I offended you. Because humans I, you are know, complicated. But, yeah. Like that's really humans, humans are, complicated are complicated and the systems right. that mm-hmm. humans operate within are complicated and everything is complicated. Exactly. And why are we even yes. having a conversation? Like no, but why are we even but, right? you know, it's interesting when point? you mention when you when you talk about Tara as this like spiritual center or this mm-hmm. I mean, I think you called her an oracle a couple episodes ago, which At I think point, is yes. really astute. Um I'm just flashing forward to conversations with dead people where she does not mm-hmm. appear 
even right. though we really, really want her to, or at least I do. Well, no, everybody really, really wanted her to. And my understanding is from what I've read, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but that, um, but that when Tara was used as a weapon to hurt Willow, when she saw that, Amber Benson dropped out and said, I won't do it. Mm. Um, which makes Amber Benson the soul of us all. Right? Like, <laughs> that's just. This may, be, this may be as much what is written in the text and what Amber Benson actually brings into this character. Yeah. Um, so I find it, I find it really super interesting. That's something that I'm always, always curious about. And it's difficult to find r- true truly accurate uh, information about things like what was like what was on the page what was written what was the director Mm -hmm. what and what was the actor Um, right and what did the actor what did the actor Mm -hmm. bring to it but well and this and the characters change too based on how the actors present them like the writers get to know the actors they get to see what they can do and the character then morphs because of the actor's strengths and what the actor brings to it you know um spike morphed because of what james marsters brought to him, oh my you know and that's why God. spike is loaded down with with so much delight armor the way the harmony is loaded <laughs> down with delight armor and unfortunately tara is not because tara is our soul um, and so we have to, you know, we, yeah, we have to damsel her and put her in danger and do terrible, terrible things. Cause it's um, a different kind of delight. Yeah. I mean, the delight of Spike, right? Like the delight of Tara is she's going to come out and check on you and like thumb wrestle with yeah. you, you know, while everybody else attends to a, a murder scene, the delight of Spike. Right. I don't know that I can even, I mean, if I ever, like, oh, if you ever want to just, like, cut your inner thighs open on some cheekbones, like, Spike is your guy. Right. But also. Spike is definitely the guy. Spike, Spike can, like, Spike is your guy if you need somebody to, like, walk away and give you a bad look. Like, it. there's so yeah. much delightful with Spike. I know Spike is I mean I love Spike but season five Spike is my favorite Spike like I love that moment when he comes in to kill all of Harmony's minions and then Harmony takes him aside and he blows more a kiss oh my god which I freaking love and I will state to this day Spike is goddamn bisexual and we were robbed of Spike with another man I mean at some point in this yeah we were Robbed. Spike it's is wrong. omnisexual. Are you kidding me? Spike is right. Uh, Spike is whatever the term is for. He will gleefully find attractiveness in everyone. Yep. Like that is that is a a, a glee sexual, that is, a joy sexual. Like there's something about him that he is sexual. He has chemistry. He is he has that with everybody. That is swagger for the collective people. Like it is that so is good. And he and Harmony have chemistry. Like. Okay, Spike. Oh my Spike God. and Harmony. I actually have some issues with Spike and Harmony, but mm-hmm. I also really enjoy them because they do smolder the house down. But yeah, so Spike, Spike ultimately is a lover, not a fighter. Yeah, and his love is like that's where the vulnerability lies for him, and mm-hmm. that's where the empathy hasn't been completely like sanded off right. by the demon that inhabits him or whatever the fuck. However, mm-hmm. that works. Um. Yes. But he's so fucking mean to Harmony. And I'm just like, stop. Like, stop it. What is wrong with you? Well, he's he's always mean to Harmony. But I kind of I kind of love this moment, right? Where he says, look at you. Look at you. 
all puffed up and mighty, thinking you're the new big bad. It's, uh, well, let's face it, it's adorable. Because it is adorable, but also, like, fuck you, Blondie Bear, you know? Like, <laughs> it is. It is adorable. And also, fuck you, which is, like, the joy of Spike. But all I have to say is get you a vamp who smiles at you the way that Spike smiles at, like, everybody. <laughs> Spike, because yeah. damn, it's everybody needs a spike. I'm telling you, <laughs> without the, I mean, I don't know, without the like actual murder, without the actual blood and murder, without and all the that actual kind of like stuff. murder, but like, but like a spike who takes delight in everything. You know, like he's he's the ultimate in hedonism. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and there's just something lovely about someone who can enjoy the the existence. He's know, just the, here to have a great enjoy. time. Really. He's just here to have a good goddamn time. And I and under whatever circumstances that good time appears, he doesn't much care. And there's something about that that I love. I also really love that we get Tom Link, who in the future will play Andrew in season six yes. and season seven yes. um, as Cyrus the Vamp. Now, we keep him in Vamp face the whole time because we have to know he's bad, right? Yes. Um, because minion vamps are in Vamp face all the time. So we always know they're evil and don't associate them as human. Um, and he's just so incredibly cute. And I actually I love him as Andrew I love there there are rough moments with Andrew there are some rough moments with the way that the character is treated um but overall I think that Tom Lank as a performer is like up there for me with Emma Caulfield yes and like everything he does fucking delights me yep yep oh my god speaking of Emma Caulfield yes Anya playing the game of life talk oh about my God. like this is where Anya's obsession with money comes from yep, right yeah <laughs> saddled with a husband and a house and several tiny pink children <laughs> tons of that cash you're she's so mad <laughs> that means you're winning <laughs> <laughs> she's so great and then um later you know to Slayer's house you think there'd be more weapons lying around like she's right. so I, she's so great she's so great but yeah we get this is yeah. this is where we turn the corner on Anya and capitalism yeah which is a, it becomes a thing um mm-hmm. which becomes a thing and and that is a shift for her we will right. find out right yes she, in her past yes. she was not she was fighting for the proletariat, man. So, uh, yeah. She was a populist mama. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Noelle, what are you wearing? Okay, Xander's babysitting shirt. Like, what Aww. even is that? He's so adorable, but he's clearly, like, flagging for something. Like, what? It's, like, purple with little... It's just got this wild print. Like, go back and pause, everybody, and tell me what yeah. all is going on on that shirt, because it's, <laughs> it is something. <laughs> it, that shirt is saying something, because it's loud. Is, I mean, yeah. <laughs> we can hear your shirt from over here. But, like, <laughs> we can hear what, I, I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to make of Xander from what he's wearing in this episode, except maybe that he's, like, the funny, fun, cute guy. I think Xander's wardrobe in general is meant to and I mean I have to say that my kid's dad when we first got together he was a Xander dresser like he uh, wore, yeah I've known a Xander dresser wore, too 
Yeah, he wore like the weirdest shit. And I was like, okay with it. You know, I was like, okay, that kind of expresses who you are. That's fine. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, there's something about uh, guys like that. And, you know, and uh, honestly, my kid's dad, not entirely unlike Xander in a lot of ways. Not entirely unlike Xander in a lot of ways, um, which may be where I get such an incredible affection for Xander. There may be a little bit of transference there from his <laughs> deep love for my kid's dad. I'm not transfer um, <laughs> A little, it's, it's a little transfer. And that's the thing. Everything that you enjoy and you love and you hate in a story is related directly to your experiences. Totally. So when somebody loves what you hate or hates what you love, doesn't even matter because it got nothing to do with you. Um, all right. So girl power moment of the week. Oh, not with a girl pal bit. What do you got? Oh, my word what have I got so I mean (laughs) I'm like I really wanted it to be Buffy doing Slayer CrossFit but honestly yeah it's Tara comforting Dawn Tara talking to Willow about being an outsider and advocating for Dawn Tara Mm -hmm. knowing the shopkeeper's name just all of Tara just all of Tara I know I know she's so great I also love a, a little harmony I love Harmony trying to like, you know, get her mission statement out. Harmony just fucking leaning in yes. is like yep. my, that is my thing. We're not eating the girl. That's not the plan. Oh my like, God. I, I love all of that. And her, you know, her like, you know, inspirational meeting, her TED talk in the lair, you know, um, I love, I love the whole thing. I love the whole thing. Harmony is is honestly oh like she is my girl power. She is everything for me. So <laughs> what's your favorite part, Noelle, for real me? My favorite part is a tie between the Summers women doing breakfast choreography. Oh, my God. That was like Hitchcock level blocking. Right. right? Everything. That right. Doing I'm there. like, this yeah. is like mm-hmm. I want a door slamming farce next. But like that was great. No. Right. That was great. <laughs> also, I wish yes. that the morning routine blocking at my house were even like a fraction of that good because oh, it's it would not be that. Smooth. It's not. Yeah. But it's either mm-hmm. that or it's Giles getting inspired by the magic shop interior while Willow is right? looking over the books. Right, isn't that wonderful? He's so cute. You just see the like mm-hmm. beginnings of it. He, like, I love it. Giles, yeah, Giles, I excited about it. life again. I'm here for it. I love it. Look at that square footage. Look at that square it's footage. So great. What about you? What's your favorite part? <laughs> oh, um, harmony complaining to Dawn about how nobody understands her either. Um, I like this. I like this kind of connection between harmony and Dawn, although. I got to say, it, we got a tight runner up with when Buffy dusts Mort with Harmony's unicorn. Yeah. Um, it's supposed to be a ceramic unicorn. I believe that the, I, I will believe that the horn was wooden. Well, it's a carousel um, unicorn, which is so, yeah. again, campy. I was talking about camp last I week, know. but like the best parts of Buffy's scrappy Slayer mm-hmm. performance are these things mm-hmm. where she breaks the fucking leg off a chair and stakes exactly. a vampire or I know I'll use this wooden carousel unicorn horn to stick up like come <laughs> on it's I, so good I love it I love it and when Veronica Mars in season three of Veronica Mars Veronica uses a unicorn to defend herself and I am absolutely certain that that is a nod to Buffy I hope I'm so absolutely convinced it's the that. best answer I love that I love that moment 
If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on social media. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich on Twitter, and I am at Noella Loud on Instagram. And the hashtag is still pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to our March producers Sarah, Shelley, Kristen, Kevin, Alyssa, Erica, Abigail, West, and Jonathan. And this week's special message for our power producers oh, scary vampires. They die from a splinter. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or by being all puffed up and mighty, thinking you're the new big bad. It's adorable. (laughs) We will be back next time with The Replacement, the third episode of season five. Until then, we're not eating the girl. Why not? Because that's not the plan.